This episode of Eat the Rules is brought to you by You on Fire. You on Fire is the online group coaching program that I run that gives you a step-by-step way of building up your self-worth beyond your appearance. With personalized coaching from me, incredible community support, and lifetime access to the program so that you can get free from body shame and live life on your own terms. Get details on what's included and sign up for the next cycle at summerinandin.com forward slash you on fire. I'd love to have you in that group. This is Eat the Rules, a podcast about body image, self-worth, anti-dieting and intersectional feminism. I am your host, Summer Inanin, a professionally trained coach specializing in body image, self-worth, and confidence, and the best-selling author of Body Image Remix. If you're ready to break free of societal standards and stop living behind the number on your scale, then you have come to the right place. Welcome to the show. This is episode 182, and I'm interviewing Victoria Albina, certified life coach and breathwork meditation guide. We're talking about tuning into your inner child to heal, how to overcome people pleasing, tending to the stress response cycle to release feelings, and so much more. You can find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode at summerinandin.com forward slash 182. I want to give a shout out to Brawny12 from New Zealand. Awesome. Who left this amazing review? Life-changing. I've been listening to this podcast for some time. I stumbled upon it when I heard Summer interviewed on another podcast I listen to regularly. It has changed my life. Honestly, I feel much more connected, normal, validated, and comforted when I listen. I feel like it speaks to my shadow parts, which I've kept hidden away in shame. Knowing that there is language around what I've experienced and further to this, that other people share similar experiences is reassuring beyond words. I'm so grateful to Summer for having these conversations and spreading the word around these deeply problematic issues and the dysfunctional way that society has handled them to date. We are part of an uprising and it's liberating. Keep up the amazing work. Thank you so much for that really thoughtful review. I so appreciate that. That is so, so kind of you. You can leave a review by going to iTunes and searching for Eat the Rules and then click uh, Ratings and Reviews and then click to leave a review. I would be so grateful if you did that. And uh, you can also help this show by subscribing and you can subscribe by just hitting that little subscribe button uh, via Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify or YouTube, wherever you listen to this show. And I just also want to mention that if you haven't already done so, get the free 10-day body confidence makeover at summerinandin.com forward slash freebies with 10 steps to take right now to feel better in your body. This episode is the first episode in 2021. Let's hope this year is better. (laughs) Who's feeling optimistic? Eh, Maybe. I just want to say that, uh, you know, I just appreciate you so much for being here again. If you're new here, welcome. If you have been here for a while, I just want to say I appreciate you. You just make uh, my life so much better by knowing that there's actually people (laughs) listening to this on the other end. And it's not just um, the people who live attached to us through the wall that are hearing me. 
this episode, I think, is a great way to kick off the year. Uh, Victoria Albina is someone that I love to follow. She goes really deep into healing things like perfectionism and people-pleasing and codependency and talks about the importance of, of like tending to like reparenting ourselves and feeling our feelings and like all the stuff that I love that I think is such an amazing compliment uh, to the work that that we do here and the work that I do with clients. And so I was super excited to to have her on the show to talk about about these things. Because the the reality is that, you know, we can we can sort of, you know, heal our body image on the surface. But often there's deeper stuff lurking underneath, as you've heard me talk about a million times, I'm sure, you know, whether that's just this feeling of not enoughness, this feeling of unworthiness. And that really permeates into behaviors like perfectionism, people pleasing, trying to control Role everything. And so I just love when people kind of talk about those things more in depth, because I just think it like fits another piece into this whole puzzle that we're that we're working through. And so I'm super excited for you to listen to this interview. Victoria Albina is a certified life coach and breathwork meditation guide with a passion for helping women realize that they are their own best healers so they can break free from codependency, perfectionism and people pleasing and reclaim their joy. She is also a UC SF trained family nurse practitioner has a master's degree in public health from Boston University School of Public Health and a BA in Latin American Studies from Oberlin College. Victoria has been working in health and wellness for over 20 years and lives on occupied oh gosh I hope we say this right Lenape territory Brooklyn New York City. Let's get started with the show. Hey Victoria welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yes, I'm so excited to have you here. So we usually start out just by asking, you know, what was your relationship to your body like growing up? Like, did you did you struggle with anything as it relates to that? Yeah, so I'm from Argentina, which is a place and a culture with a lot of emphasis on thinness. I really think an Argentine woman cannot be too thin, right? Um, it is a very pervasive culture of really, really privileging the thin body over all bodies. And I was a thick little kid. I was a chubby kid, um, which I think, looking at the pictures, I'm like, what a cute little chubby kid. Um, but at the time was really framed as a problem, right? Like my body was a problem because it wasn't a thin body. It wasn't a tall body or a lithe body, a slender body. So my little kid chubbiness meant that food was always something that was problematic in my world. And I was really taught, you know, I heard things like, do you need to eat that? Right? Like those kinds of statements about seeing food as a problem and something that would create a problem for me in my life. I was also a sick kid. Um, I had a ton of digestive issues, which is really not surprising <laughs> given the thinking and all the sympathetic nervous system activation that came along with food and nourishing myself um, and movement and just inhabiting my human body uh, felt really problematic, right? Like because my body was such a problem for everyone in my family. And so that, you know, that place where being a sick kid and a kid being told your body is too fat and 
fat's not a good word here, right? In my adult life, I'm like, fat's awesome. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Health at every size, all sizes, all the intuitive eating. But then that was a problem. That was a bad thing. And so it really created this like cluster cuss in my mind of not loving my body, not trusting my body, thinking from kindergarten that my body needed to change and be different in so many ways for me to be lovable, acceptable, worthy, on and on. Yeah. And so how did you how did you overcome that? Well, I mean, it was through really by learning to get curious and to ask curious questions. Right. So coming to understand. So part of it was getting politicized. Right. And coming to have a feminist lens to look at the discourse around bodies and to understand that the policing of my body served this political goal of making me feel small by encouraging me to be small and to spend my time, my effort, my energy in this project of believing my body was unlovable and believing that it needed to change for me to be able to amount to anything. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So it was right. So it was really in taking that feminist lens and taking it deep. So important, right? Yeah, absolutely. And you bring a lot of that into your work, which is what I really appreciated. Um, and I'm curious to know because you work a lot uh, with a lot of people who are codependent, perfectionists, people pleasers, things like that. Like, how did you get into into that into that work? Yeah. So. My journey comes from being really sick myself and having all these digestive concerns. And then when we understand the gut microbiome, which gets compromised when we don't feed ourselves or when food is a problem, right? And we're in that sympathetic activation all the time while we're eating, the gut gets compromised, which means that mental health gets compromised. So I had intermittent depression and anxiety my whole life. And I set about in my early 20s to like solve this problem. And again, it was really through this lens of body as problem that I set about trying to figure out what's going on with me. Years and years, doctor after doctor after doctor, I finally found a functional medicine provider who was able to get to the right diagnosis, figured out what was going on in my gut, in my small intestine, my large intestine. And while the test got better, right, like the result looked better on paper and I felt better for sure after treatment, so much didn't feel good, so much didn't feel right. And I came to understand that healing the physiology is not enough if our thinking is still codependent, people-pleasing towards perfectionism, if our thinking is still, I cannot be happy if everyone else is not happy, and particularly if they're not happy with me, right? <laughs> Which I learned in childhood around my physical human form, that people weren't happy with my body. And that was my problem. Which is so effed. I mean, like what? <laughs> like, yeah. So in recognizing that my mindset, my thinking which was part and parcel of my socialization and my culture, right? That was keeping me from living in joy, from having a, a nervous system that was regulated and regulable. <laughs> I'm not sure that's a word, but that I could influence and regulate. Yeah. Right. And so, of course, I stayed sick, mind, body and spirit, 
because I was having all these negative, painful, challenging thoughts about myself that kept my body jacked up on adrenaline and cortisol instead of sitting in that that place of self-acceptance and self-love. Mm-hmm. You just mentioned there like being jacked up on adrenaline and cortisol. And like, I think especially a lot of us are <laughs> feeling those things right now. And you talk a lot about the, the stress response cycle and how this is activated when we internalize messages and bottle up emotions. And I'd love you to talk about that. Like, what is the stress response cycle? Okay, well, I'm going to go pretty nerdy. So I just want to check. Do you have your safety goggles? Do you- <laughs> I have my mask on. Because <laughs> that's what I do best. So, um, so our bodies, about 80% of our feelings are body up from our vagus nerve through our autonomic nervous system up into our minds. And so our bodies are built to constantly scan the horizon to look for lions right? Is there safety? Is there danger? It's that that uh, black and white thinking, that good, bad, lion, no lion thinking that's programmed into us as mammals. I mean, you see it in dogs and squirrels too, right? Like, oh, it's this going to hurt me. And so our bodies respond in several ways. One, um, our vagus nerve mediates the autonomic nervous system. The vagus nerve is the 10th cranial nerve, the longest nerve in the human body. And it goes from our brain through the entire middle of us, our trunk. And it enervates or gives nerve function to heart, lungs, all the things that respond immediately when we are jacked up on adrenaline. And so that process happens through one of the branches of the autonomic nervous system, which is the sympathetic innervation. And the sympathetic system sees the lion. And let's make note, right? Way back in the day, the lion was a lion. And these days, it's an email from your boss, a text from your ex, the number on a scale, etc., right? Having to make a decision, right? Like I want the burger and fries, but I know I should in air quotes, have the salad, right? Jack yourself up because you're telling that story that something beyond your desire is the right thing for you, negating your own truth. Right. Right. So that's sympathetic activation. When we're in that pathway, we are flooded with chemicals that are excitatory. Heart rate goes up, breathing gets shallow in the top of the chest. We're ready to punch a lion in the nose or go running, fight or flight. The other branch is parasympathetic, which then itself has two branches, ventral vagal, which is the social, safe, connected, everything is cool, like we're good here. And then the other branch is dorsal vagal, and that's immobilization, freeze, shutdown. That's like playing possum or a deer in the headlights, that, right? And so as humans, that often looks like depression, In my clients who are working to overcome codependent thinking, that can often look like, "Ah, fine, we'll do whatever you want. Like, okay, I give up. I feel like the the word in Spanish is so much more powerful. Me rindo. Okay. I just, I can't anymore. So... These three systems are constantly at work in our ner- in our bodies through our nervous system, scanning the horizon and responsive both to what's actually happening, responsive to reality and responsive to our internal stories and what we feed into our systems. And so 
that's why, you know, the importance of our mindset, our habitual thinking, taking a look at our unintentional thinking and what we've been trained to think our whole lives is absolutely vital when we're talking about healing on any plane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so when we're faced with like that, you know, the stress response, for example, you know, like you turn on the TV and you watch the debate or you, uh, you are, you know, or you, or you like, you look in the mirror and it's immediately kind of this like stress, shame response. How do you advise your clients to sort of begin to release and, and complete that stress response cycle? Yeah. So there are physical ways to complete the stress response cycle within our bodies. So it behooves us to never forget the mind-body connection. And I, I think that happens a lot in the coaching world. People are like, oh, it's all about your thoughts, which is like thoughts are super important, but thoughts happen within a physiologic vessel, right? And right. And so if you find yourself leaning more towards panic, towards anxious, towards that adrenaline state, what's really helpful is to give the brain something to focus on. Well, this so true, it's true as well for a free state. So some simple tips are to touch your thumb to each finger while counting one, two, three, four, something that brings your brain into the present moment. For a freeze, I love to support people in orienting to the space because when we're frozen, it's like we leave our bodies. It's not always a like truly psychological dissociative response, but it but sometimes a little. And so orienting to the space can feel safer than trying to get back into our bodies, which can feel pretty scary, particularly for folks with a with a trauma history. And so I'll encourage folks when they're feeling that freeze to come back to the space by looking around and, for example, counting by color. So how many red things do you see in the room? How many blue? How many green? Right. And so bringing your attention out of your own head and your spin and back into the space. If we're in that freeze, cold can actually help, which is interesting. So running cool water on your wrists having something cold to drink, chewing on some ice, um, taking sort of a brisk walk, shaking limbs, hands, body. These things can help complete that freeze cycle so that you can find your way back into connection with yourself. Going back to panic, we can also connect in with the self in the environment. And in a panic, the body wants warmth. It wants warmth. It wants heat. And anyone who's met a toddler knows this, right? Like in the midst of a tantrum, if you squeeze them tight or wrap them up like little babies, right? We cocoon them like in a little swaddle and they go from freaked out to like, oh, this is womb-like. Oh, okay. Okay. I'll stop screaming for like a minute. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So wrapping yourself up in a warm blanket, I worked uh, as a hospice nurse back in the day, and when someone was getting anxious and worked up, one of the things we'd do is throw uh, towels or blankets in the dryer and then put warm blankies on folks. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it's a really beautiful thing to watch someone just sort of sink into that. A cup of hot tea can really help, even just holding it or holding hot water helps to, to let the body know that you're safe that there's nothing to run from. You don't actually need to punch anything in the nose. (laughs) Like that's not required in this moment. So that's attending to the physiology. How's that all sounding? Yeah, that sounds great. 
And so, like, that's kind of, is that, would that be sort of, like, completing the cycle then? Like, is that sort of, yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, so what happens when we don't, so in folks with codependent perfectionist people-pleasing thinking, there's some pretty well-established patterns of holding tension, armoring in the body that we see from a lifetime of not completing these cycles, such as pain or discomfort in the jaw, pain or discomfort in the hips, Right. Those are the two places I see it pretty chronically in my patients and clients because the body is brilliant and amazing and will hold on to tensions that are not completed. So tensing the jaw. Well, I mean, it takes my brain a second to be like, oh, who does that? A boxer. Right. Because the the vagus nerve runs through, right, the trigeminal nerve, the vagus nerve. If you get punched in the jaw, it's a technical knockout, like you're on the ground within seconds. And so if you've spent a lifetime choking back your words or your thoughts, your feelings, not expressing yourself because it either wasn't safe or didn't feel safe, holding it in, not fighting back, not speaking up it makes sense that there's a clenching within the jaw, an armoring against the next blow. And so with the hips, I see when folks wanted to run, right? When in childhood or adolescence, things didn't feel safe emotionally or physically or energetically, when there was a misattunement and you wanted to bolt out of there, but you couldn't or didn't, that stress activation can live in the hips and can yearn for completion. Mm, that's so interesting yes god i love science (laughs) (laughs) well the body has so much wisdom right and i think that it's like as you said it's not just the thoughts it's it's like going into the into the body and there's a whole physiological element to all of this yeah and then also learning how to address your thinking right so awareness acceptance action it is I live in the U.S. and it is part and parcel of American culture writ large to want to jump to action, right? Like New Year's resolutions or (laughs) crash diets, yo-yo diets, right? Like I am going to jump to action without actually investigating why I am doing this thing. And so what happens is we try to change the thing without understanding how the, the behavior we're doing, the action we're taking, the thoughts we're having actually serve us and by serving our inner children and keeping them thinking we're safe. So like, for example, perfectionism, right? It keeps your inner child thinking you're safe. Well, if you're perfect, then no one can come for you, right? Yeah, no one can hurt you. Yeah. And that's something I actually wanted to talk to you about, too, is just because you talk about a lot about the inner child and, you know, kind of reparenting yourself as an important aspect of in healing. And so, first of all, I guess for people who don't know, you know, what what is the inner child? Yeah, so it's this concept, this idea that everything we've experienced in this lifetime stays within our form in some way or another. And so the inner child, this concept or inner children, inner village, inner family, they're the parts of us that remember all the things, right, from our growing up, all the lessons we learned along the way about what it meant to be a good girl, what it meant to be lovable, worthy, safe, and what was strategic and smart for your survival, which like, what does a mammal want more than survival? Like, nothing. So... (laughs) 
Uh, right. So those inner children hold on to those stories and can effectively just drive the bus of our adult psyche unless we. Yeah. Is this have you done work with your inner child? Is that a thing that you're is part well, of your work? I connect with it in a it, the way that I approach it is that, you know, a lot of the reasons for why we're afraid to you know, accept ourselves and kind of the beliefs that we have that are tied to our sense of worthiness uh, are the ones that we, you know, we sort of learned as children. And so it's about, you know, like, sometimes not for everybody, but kind of going back and thinking like, you know, what, yeah, what did your child, what did, when you were a child, like, what did you need to hear? What did you need to be shown that was different than what you got in order to feel safe now to be able to kind of step out of your comfort zone and, and, and move through some of the fears like, like perfectionism and people pleasing that tie to, you know, the way that we feel about our bodies as well. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. That's great. But, yeah. Go, but, but yeah, keep going. I want to know. Yes. But especially <laughs> like as it relates to those things, you know, like perfectionism and people pleasing and codependency, like how can we reparent our inner child to help with those things? Yeah. So I always, always, always come from a, a strengths approach I always believe that our most harmful, painful, maladaptive adult thoughts and behaviors come from a place of self-love and a place of wanting to protect ourselves. So often clients will say things like, I'm so mad at myself that I went along with him. I like didn't want to do it, but like I just wanted him to be happy. So like we went to that party, right? And or... I can't believe right just these statements of like inc- incredulity that they are humans who have thought patterns and habits from their childhood effectively right yes and I'll hear folks being really mean to themselves when in fact whatever those behaviors and thoughts and feelings that don't serve you today they they all come from that place of wanting to protect yourself against the lion attack So like people pleasing makes perfect sense for children. Like you should keep your parents happy because if not, when the wildebeests and the lions come to eat the village, they're going to grab the quiet sibling. They're going to grab the one who like works the farm well and doesn't eat much and is quiet and doesn't have a lot of problems. And you're going to be left as tribute and snack. Like kids are smarter than that. Right. (laughs) You know? Right. And so looking at each of these behavior patterns as just a way, gosh, just a way to love ourselves. So we start by honoring, right? And that's the reparenting, right? How can you honor the fact that this thing that just like effed your whole weekend up, that came from self-love, that came from self-protection, that came from wanting you to feel better in that moment. And sure, maybe it had adult consequences and adult repercussions, but your kid doesn't know that, right? Your inner child doesn't know what will happen from that. They just see this good, bad, lion, not lion, black and white thinking. And so they intervene to keep you safe. Right. How tender, right? (laughs) Like it's really, to me, it's really tender and sweet. And the more we can celebrate those things and be like, of course, your little one did that. Of course they did. Then we bring in radical self-compassion, self-love and self-acceptance. 
right? Because what good is it to not accept the thinking of an eight-year-old? And you can really see the innocence in it that way. Yeah. Yeah. And when we start there, I, it's, I just see it day after day. And, and I live it in my own life. It's just so much easier to move towards the love, to move towards the kindness. Mm-hmm. Right. And from there to shift your mindset from saying, what a gift this kiddo gave me. How can adult me be the most loving steward of the childhood within me? And it's certainly not by beating yourself up, by being mean to yourself, by restricting your food, <laughs> by right um, saying unkind words about you. That's not how you honor the gift you've been given. Right. And so in terms of that kind of next phase of, of you know, changing behavior or stewarding your child to, you know, be able to work through it, maybe let's talk about this in the context of boundaries, you know, like people, you know, people kind of struggling with thinking that boundaries are selfish because they don't want to upset other people. Like, how would you, how would you sort of move through a situation like that? I'm curious. Yeah. So a couple different frameworks to bring in here. And and I always propose multiple frameworks because people have different brains. And, totally. Right. <laughs> and because the same healing thing, like there's not one modality that is the modality. Different shifts in thinking can be really helpful for different people at different times and different stages. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. Right. right on. So one framing. And I, this is how I do it in coaching, right? I propose these different frameworks. Let's see what sticks for you. Selfish. What is the opposite of selfish? <laughs> I would say that it is selfless. And I do not want to be less myself. So sure, if having boundaries is selfish, then amen, hallelujah, let's be selfish, right? Like let's put ourselves first, potentially for the first time in our lives or since early childhood. And let's remember that when our framework for living is me first, you second with love, we can fill our own cup and then give to the collective. Mm-hmm. Right. So I always, it is vital to me to caveat. I am not here proposing an individualist white settler colonist mentality of rugged individualism, you know, Horatio Alders, pull yourself up by the bootstraps. No, no. But rather when we recognize that these thought patterns like codependent thinking have been such a part of our life, we have always put ourselves in that last place after spouse job, children, dog, everything, we get to learn how to be selfish for the first time and then to be part of the collective, the community, that healing that we all need. So I would try that on, right? And see how that lands. Can we see selfish as a gift? Second, if that doesn't work, if that doesn't land for someone, if they're like, oh, Vic, that is too, that is a bridge too far there, girl. <laughs> That's um, hard. I know. It's really it's hard for hard, sure. Right? For sure. Um, so then we can take the framework of boundaries are not, if we are still using the framework that selfish is something we're trying to avoid, something we do not like, uh, if we can't get to neutral or even positive around it. Boundaries are not selfish. They are, in fact, one of the kindest things you can do. Because when you set healthy boundaries, 
you are protecting the relationship because boundaries are a form of resentment prevention. And what, what is the greatest killer of relationships? Any kind of relationship. I, I think resentment is right up there on that list. Mm -hmm. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So when we say here is my clean, clear boundary without emotion. So this is important. When I talk about boundary setting, the framework is if you do X, I will do Y. And it is without emotion. Meaning if you let's let's start with a really and this is part of the, like the nervous system thinking I do. I always start with like a silly or not very heavy example because it allows uh, the nervous system get to get into ventral vagal and to hear it versus starting with like a heavier resistance. Like the example of abuse. <laughs> right. Resistance, right. Exactly. So, you know, living in New York City, if you come into my house with shoes on, I will ask you to take your shoes off. If you will. So if you do X, I will do Y. If you will not take your shoes off, then I will not let you into my home. New York City is disgusting. I love it. Love it forever. But you're not tracking that into my house. Right. So simple one. And it is unemotional, meaning if you won't take your shoes off, then, well, I'm going to just feel really bad and I'm going to have all this guilt and I'm going to shame you and I'm going to feel guilty. It's just a simple statement. Want, need, consequence. Done. Easy. So when we simplify it, again, we allow our neurology to go with us. We allow our nervous system to not go into that fight or flight lion freak out place. And if someone doesn't like our boundary, because we have stated it as a simple, if you do X, it's math, right? <laughs> if you do X, I will do Y. No guilt, no shame, no emotions. If they do not want to comply or to right, agree to this boundary about our own lives, no problem. No problem. Great. Let's hang out in the park. Let's go somewhere else if you won't take your shoes off. But you're not coming in my house. And so... You make it seem very easy, <laughs> which is good. I mean, really, yeah, I mean, it's really challenging, right? <gasps> right. And so I think even, you know, even in the context of, okay, I was able to do this, there can be some leftover guilt. And so what do you do with that guilt? Yeah, well, I think so there's there's two forms of guilt, right? There's pro-social guilt, which is the guilt that leads us to recognize we've done an oopsie against someone we love, against the community, an apology is owed, and a, a change in behavior supports the collective, right? And then there's the guilt of that is just us self-flagellating and beating ourselves up because it's how we learn to be safe in childhood, right? And so we pause. So I, I never tell, I don't tell folks like, oh, like let go of guilt. It's a useless emotion because it's not. Guilt is great. Oh man, I, I, I wasn't looking and I kicked you right in the shin. I'm so sorry. My apologies. I have that pro-social guilt that helps me to see where my body begins and ends. Something my clients are often not skilled at, right? Because they've spent so long avoiding being in their bodies. Okay, noted. Right. Versus beating. I'm such a jerk. I can't believe that I kicked someone. Hold the phone. Right. So when we differentiate when we can learn the lesson and then give ourselves love. We can interrupt that guilt cycle. And so I invite folks to 
to really have a, to use your prefrontal cortex, right? Your neocortex, that part of your brain that does executive function and allows you to think clearly and to do meta work, to think about your thinking and to pick a thought ahead of time that you will have ready, write it on your phone, right? Put it on a post-it note, but have it available to think when you feel yourself moving from pro-social guilt into self-flagellation guilt. So a thought like, well, I'm curious, what comes to mind for you? Oh, I don't even know if it's a thought. It's just like, you know, you just feel bad. Like you feel, you feel like you've let someone else down, I guess. You know what I mean? Like it's that, 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 that type of, that type of feeling that you, that you sometimes have to sit with when you say no to something. Right. So maybe the thought then, if that's the predominant thought that's leading to guilt for you or in this example, the thought could be when I take care of myself, I am, let's see, I am being of service to myself in the world. When I set clear boundaries, I am preventing resentment and it's okay if other people don't like that. Yeah. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. Those are good. Because right. All of us are just out here in these human forms trying to manage our anxiety. In one. <laughs> That's such a good right? way of putting it. Yes. <laughs> so I have come to love it when a friend sets a clean, clear boundary because then I know what's up and what's not. A friend the other day was like, I, we just hopped on the phone and I started talking about politics. And within about four seconds, she was like, girl, 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 no, no, I cannot hear politics right now. And I was like, okay, cool. Hey, so I got new running shoes and it was so nice to be given that clean, clear boundary of if you X talk politics, then I will Y hang up this phone. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Because it gave me a guidepost. Mm. So instead of my, like sitting there wondering why she wasn't responding one, like, you know, like having my anxiety building up about why isn't she participating here or whatever, whatever trip I could have gone on. She gave me the gift of telling me what does and doesn't work for her. Mm -hmm. What isn't, isn't appropriate. What fills her cup and what drains it in a way she's not available for. It makes so much sense, right? Totally. Mm -hmm. It really, when we say no to other people, it is such a wild gift. I love it. That's great. Yeah. We're going to wrap it up here. I feel like we kind of, that was a good, that was sort of a good full circle from everywhere That's this cool. all started. So you're so fun. I feel like we could do like 20,000 hours of internet. I do too. I've, I know there was, there was a lot, there were a lot of the other things I could have asked you about, but um, I feel like, I feel like that kind of came full circle. And I, I love it. That's awesome. So that was great. Well, where can people find more of you? Yeah. So on the Instagram, it's Victoria Albino Wellness. My website is victoriaalbina.com. And if you go to there right up at the top, you can put your name and your email in to download a set of free meditations and nervous system orienting exercises. Those are on the house because I love you and we all need this kind of support. Uh, my podcast is called Feminist Wellness. It is free on all of the things, the Apple and the Stitcher and the, I don't even know the names of the others, <laughs> but it's, it's out there. Uh, and I have a six month masterclass called Overcoming Codependency. And you can learn more about it at victoriaalbina.com uh, slash masterclass. Cool. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. I'll link to all those things in the show notes. It's and been such a pleasure. Yeah, it's been so great. Well, thank you again. This has been awesome. I know people are really going to benefit from it. 
such a delight. And thank you sincerely for the work you do in the world. It's, <laughs> thank you. It's really great. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Rock on. I love that interview so much. Definitely check out Victoria and uh, start following her if if that resonated with you. And you can find all the links and resources mentioned, including uh, some free meditations to help you deal with codependency and people pleasing that Victoria has. There's a link to that in the show notes for this episode, which you can find at summerinandin.com forward slash 182. Thank you so much for listening. I hope this kicks off your new year in a great way. I've got so many great interviews uh, coming up and and some solo stuff and some exciting things happening that I'm excited for you to see. So stay tuned for that. Thanks. Rock on. I'm Summer Inanin, and I want to thank you for listening today. You can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Summer Inanin. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts, search Eat the Rules, and subscribe, rate, and review this show. I would be so grateful. Until next time, rock on.